from the coffee-stained studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA, it's time for another wood-burning episode of chemical-free horticultural hijinks you bet your garden. Coffee grounds are the number one kitchen waste for potential to improve plants if you use them correctly. Same for ashes from a hardwood stove. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, and on today's You Bet Your Garden, we'll explain how to correctly use these tricky soil amendments. Otherwise, it's a phone call show, cats and kittens. Yeah, we're going to take that heap and helping of your telecommunicated questions, comments, tips, tricks, suggestions, and elegantly elucidated enunciations. So keep your eyes and or ears right here, true believers because it's all coming up faster than you warming your hands over a hot, hot pile of cooking compost right after this. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Lehigh Valley Health Network. In life, we have many kinds of partners. School bus partners, business partners, even gardening partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life, your health? Lehigh Valley Health Network, your health deserves a partner. Welcome to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio and Television at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. And before we get into this week's show, we got a bunch of books to give away. We have a very large pile of postcards that you have sent in. Thank you so much. It's so great to see Uh, these fabulous cards from all over the country. We have a really good time going through them. And we had such a good time with all the cards that came in over the holidays that we are giving away five, count them, five books this week. So let me see how I can go through this. Uh, The first postcard that we picked is from Debbie Roth in Pittsburgh, and that's the postcard of Vincent Van Gogh in bloom, which she saw at the Phipps Conservatory in Pittsburgh. I spoke at the Phipps facility, was it last spring or two springs ago? But what a a beautiful botanic garden, what a beautiful glass house, and it's right at the outskirts of the University of Campus, and in between my hotel, and the Botanic Garden was the Cathedral of Learning, this really tall building that's part of the university that doesn't look like Hogwarts inside. It is Hogwarts. So if you're ever in Pittsburgh and you go to the Botanic Garden, you don't even have to ask for directions to the Cathedral of Learning. It's the tallest building in the area. Just go there, go inside, and be amazed. So. Thank you, Debbie. That was great to see. Next up was Linda McGrath, who was not picked for her last name, believe it or not, but because her postcard, which features a nice sprig of holly on the front, it came in an envelope with this note. Dear Mike, my postcard to you has been returned by the post office twice. So I'm sending it this way to make sure it gets to you. Well, persistence wins a book, Linda. Josette Tilly from Springfield, Missouri, sent the funny Degas postcard. Chris Amstel 
in Troy, Ohio, where at least years ago, the famous Troy built tillers were assembled, sent this beautiful postcard of hardy water lilies, one of my favorite, absolute favorite plants. And Debbie Pinto in Brinigsville, PA, um, which is not that far from where I live and that has a great ball field with lights so you could play at night. Um, she sent the doggy postcard, which is not a real postcard, we noticed. It's a photo of a doggy that she posted onto something the size of a postcard and sent it. And my Diane, who loves dogs, dreams about dogs, and will not miss the TV show Lucky Dog every Saturday, I picked that postcard in her honor. We don't have our dog yet. We're still getting the house ready. But she has already chosen the name Roscoe because that's the dog who has come to her in dreams night after night. I'm in such deep trouble. The books that we're sending out in no specific order, because I'm going to ask Tavia to decide who gets which book. Straw Bale Gardening, Lessons in Nature by Malcolm Beck, who is or perhaps was, I'm not sure, a great horticulturalist in Texas, did so much to bring organic gardening and organic supplies to Texas. He did uh, amazing work. Malcolm Beck, a great guy. Mendel in the Kitchen, which is a very interesting book about genetically engineered foods. American Chestnut, the death and rebirth of one of the best trees ever. Great book. And Beetle Busters, which is a book about the fight against the emerald ash borer, a terrible, terrible pest that's threatening a remarkable tree. So I hope you enjoy your books. The contest is now closed. We'll take postcards that were postmarked before Feb 1, but don't send any more right now. We will reopen the contest when we talk about summer beach reading and again next year, well, not next year, at the end of this year, around the holidays. And now, back to our show. That number to call, and you really can call it anytime. Honest, check it out, 833-727-9588. Robert, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thanks, Mike. Thanks, well, thank, I appreciate it. Thank you, Robert, we appreciate your call. Where are you, man? I'm in Stanton, Virginia, in the Shenandoah Valley. Oh, it's so beautiful there. It's so pretty here. I'm so glad I moved back. I love it. Yeah. Uh, where did you move from? Well, so I originally grew up in the area, but then after I got out of college, I kind of bumped around all over the country. Um, I first listened, I first heard your show when I was living in New Jersey, mm -hmm. um, but, you know, shipped around, and I, I recently moved back up from Georgia. I was down in Georgia for a couple of years, so... Um, shorter growing season up here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but the natural beauty you have is almost unsurpassed. Oh, I love it. The, the mountains are so gorgeous. Yeah. We just had the prettiest fall. Yeah, we had a very good fall ourselves. All right, what can we do for Robert in a little bit of paradise in Virginia? <laughs> well, so I have a backyard garden, um, a couple raised beds, um, and I also have two dogs. Um, the dogs, when there's things in the garden, it's not so bad. They're not keen on messing with it. 
when, you know, everything is pulled up, um, they like to get in it. And so this past fall, I was doing what you were recommending, shredding the leaves, mm-hmm. getting the leaves on top, um, and just letting that there. But um, after I planted some garlic, one of my dogs, I'm looking at it right now, one of my dogs <laughs> ended up getting in and dug up a lot. I was able to kind of restore the garlic and get that covered again. But I also remember you talking about and just hearing up things that um, you don't want that um, decomposing material integrated with your soil because it robs it of nitrogen. So after the dog got in there and dug everything up, um, am I going to have to kind of pull soil out and mix that, you know, not have it all mixed? Because it's right now it's thoroughly mixed with all these shredded leaves. Yeah, yeah. They thought they were doing you a favor. Uh, what, <laughs> what, what kind of dogs are these? How big? Oh, uh, they're about medium size, so about 60, 70 pounds. They're not giant, but they're also not small. What are they? Um, one is a mutt mix between a German Shepherd and a Hound Dog, and then the other one. Not sure what she's a mix of. She's a mix. It looks like a coloration like a Rottweiler, but she's way, way more pleasant and chill than that. So, um, two medium-sized dogs, both mutts. Yeah. Well, normally it it is a mistake to and a lot of humans have done this deliberately thinking they're doing the right thing they would till um shredded leaves into their garden beds and then two terrible things would happen the plants wouldn't grow but the weeds that they uncovered by tilling would yeah. thrive so do you uh how are you fixed for compost um, there's a local garden center about 15, 20 miles away, and I love going there. So I've taken a pickup truck and have loaded up at the beginning of the season. I think it's like 30 bucks for a pickup load of compost right. and brought that there. And um, you had good I, success with it. It wasn't weedy or anything? Oh, it was great. Okay, great. Um, so do you have any left over? No, not no, this year. It, yeah, by the time we get to August, we, we always, when it, when it gets delivered in the spring, we go, oh, my God, what were we thinking? It's too much. Yeah. And by the time we get to August, we go, man, we should have got two loads. Can't ever have enough compost. So um, see what you can do. Maybe there's a way. If, if they'll bring another load out to your house, then you'll be set for next year, too. Okay. But it sounds like needle in a haystack to try to get every leaf out. Yeah. What I would do is move, uh, rake the surface leaves gently away um, and put them to the side and then cover the bed with an extra inch or two of compost and then recover it with shredded leaves and put up well, actually, you know, the easiest thing in the world because you're growing garlic in there that has no height um, mm-hmm. is to uh, drape chicken wire. Yeah, and I did that in the spring before things came up. And, you know, when there weren't any plants in there, I did that, and that worked well. But yeah. um, I've definitely have taken the chicken wire and have put up a little fence around it all now for them to not get into That's it. That's probably not going to work. These dogs are big enough to push yeah. that down. So, but uh, for instance, I do this to protect my garlic against evil squirrels, which Mm -hmm. is to just lay the chicken wire flat over the bed and staple it to the, to the frames because the sprouts from the garlic can come up without any trouble whatsoever, but dogs can't dig in it. Cats can't use it as a, a litter box and evil squirrels are foiled. 
So that's okay. that, that's easy peasy. Um, yes, you've got some too much carbon in the soil, but if you cover that with compost, I think that'll level things out. Now, one thing I also want to suggest, because you are a, a dog owner, have you given your dogs a place to dig that is okay with you? Oh, yeah. They, got, they have a, there's a, a dirt patch way in the corner, um, and it's only really the, the hound dog that'll, that'll really dig. The other dog, she's pretty, she, she, she just likes to lay out on the patio. Oh, that's great. Um, and you've trained uh, the hound dog to go to that spot, and you've rewarded um, him or her when they've gone there, that kind of positive reinforcement? That's yeah. That's the preferred location. Good dog. You can dig there, and she yeah. gets in the garden. Like no bad dog. <laughs> okay. Well. Now I guess I've one one of the other things I wanted to just second part question this. Um, you know, with dogs getting in, um, trying to do any kind of fertilizer before you know I before I was using things like the chicken meal or the chicken feather, um, sure. and then the fish fertilizer and mm-hmm. that stuff just attract the dogs. Just go nuts and. I remember putting the chicken meal out this past spring, and I go out, and the dogs are in the garden trying to eat it out of the dirt. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I was wondering if, if any kind of, like, amendment for fertilizer or anything that you suggest that well, wouldn't suggest or attract the dogs. As first well. of all, where you live, compost should be enough of a fertilizer. <laughs> People really misunderstand how, how much compost makes every possible nutrient available to plants without shoving any of it down their throat like artificial Mm -hmm. fertilizers and i'm doing this from memory um my diana's laughing insanely right now um probably thinking i left it at home but i believe that gardens alive has a line of fertilizers that contains no animal products or byproducts whatsoever okay so there are um, there, there are types of fertilizers, um, especially, you know, these natural ones that um, don't contain that kind of material. But, oh, yeah, fish fertilizer, the dogs are going <laughs> to dig their way down to China, man. Oh, they love it. And, <laughs> they and smell like it. Yeah, feather meal <laughs> and chicken manure. Oh, they'll, they love it. Yeah, they'll roll around in that. <laughs> They do. But but I, I also have to uh, say what um, my what my what my damn yeah I can't say it. I also have to criticize you because mm-hmm. if, if my Diane were here when you said bad dogs, she'd be going. There are no bad dogs. There are no bad dogs. But if you want a dog, I got I got two of them. If you're interested, <laughs> we're about to adopt one at a rescue. So, <laughs> you know, we'll we'll have our own troubles, but they are oh yeah, they are wonderful companions. They never judge, them. and they just love to be around people. But um, just get yeah. out of my tomato patch. <laughs> yeah. In term in terms of your garden, um, again, check out Gardens Alive because I'm pretty sure maybe all of their fertilizers or at least a line of their fertilizers does not contain any animal products. If you don't let me ask you, what, what would be the active ingredient in the, in those? Oh, uh, green sand, um, uh, naturally occurring phosphorus, uh, okay. potassium. Um, you know, the animal products are mostly contributing nitrogen 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, really we overfeed our plants nitrogen, and it's very ephemeral because it, the nitrogen in things like animal manures is the exact same chemical composition as the nitrogen in the air we breathe. So it's always escaping. It always wants to go up in the air and play and fly around, much more fun than being trapped in the ground. Mm-hmm. But, if, but if you get a good combination of elements, of uh, different ingredients that don't include animals uh, of any kind, and you put that down first, then you cover it with the new two inches of compost for that season, you're going to grow fabulous plants. Ooh, I like this plant. I like yeah. it. Yeah, maybe buy a little bit of feather meal and put it inside old gym socks to give to your dogs at Christmas time. You know? <laughs> They'd love that. <laughs> yeah, exactly right. Little pink sock for dogs. All right, oh, Robert? That gets, that gets it. I appreciate it, Mike. All right, good luck with your garlic harvest, sir. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will descend upon the greater D.C. area to appear at the Spring Home Show at the Dulles Expo Center in Chantilly, Virginia on February 22nd and 23rd. But don't go looking for all the details in the events section of our website just yet because we'll be right back with the correct ways to use coffee grounds and wood ash and more of your ash and phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Grodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Rodale Institute. Since 1947, the Rodale Institute has been growing the organic movement through research, farmer training, and consumer education. Learn more about local events, workshops, and tours at rodaleinstitute.org. The Rodale Institute, because the future is organic. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath. Coming up later in the show, the correct ways to use coffee grounds and wood ash in your landscape. But mostly it's a fabulous phone call show, cats and kittens, and you know what that means. We're going to try and take that heap and helping at 833-727-9588. Mary Lou, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi. Well, hello, Mary Lou. Or And was that Everly Brothers or Ricky Nelson, that song? Everly Brothers. Yeah. So, or no, I think Ricky Nelson, I, yes. I, yes remember, Ricky Nelson. I remember Ricky Nelson, yeah. Yep, on, yep. On the, on the old I Aussie like them Indian. both, what can I say? Yeah. All right, so Mary Lou, where are you? I'm in Mahoning Valley. Christmas tree country. All right. Very good. What can we do for Mary Lou um, in and around Lehighton? I have been gardening over 40 years and um, feel I'm pretty knowledgeable. But this past year, I noticed my Japanese maple, which has been doing great. It's a small one, but it's in there at least five to ten years. Mm -hmm. I don't know. But established already. And this summer, I noticed the bark splitting. Oh. The bark is splitting all around, the, the coming out of the ground and going up. 
And I went online, and I really don't see any remedy to try and save it. It had shade, so it wasn't sun-scorched. I don't know why it started losing all its bark. Okay. Now, let's go back to the bottom of the trunk. Um, is there mulch piled up against the trunk? No. No, it was kind of the same way it was for several years. So it's just... No, nothing more, nothing less. It's just planted in the ground. There's no mulch. Right, right. Okay. Very little, if anything, and it would just be from whatever, a couple grass clippings that got, okay. you know, in that area, but nothing packed. Okay. Grass clippings do not make a good mulch. Grass clippings should yeah. always be left on the lawn. But that's... Yeah. that's that's not what's Well, I'm cool. just saying it's minimal, minimal gotcha. whatever might have been shot accidentally. When you look at the tree where it enters the ground, does it look like a lollipop, or do you see any of the root flare above ground? Does it look like a lollipop? You know, just with a trunk coming up out of the ground, or is there some structure above ground? No, it's just the root coming out of the ground. Okay, so you do see the root flare above ground. I see the main trunk coming out. Right, uh, but a lot of times these trees are planted too deeply, and that can cause the bark to, to split from uh, excess moisture. So when you're in the woods, for instance, you never see a tree just with the trunk coming out of the ground. You always see these remarkable muscular roots. Um, at least a little bit of them coming out of the ground. And those are the healthiest trees, the ones where there's a little bit of root flare showing. So one thing, and, and now let's talk about the split. The split is up and down, like vertical, right? Yes. Oh, yeah, it kind of fell off completely around now. The bark has completely left the tree? Yep, yep, it split in, well, it, for a big strip. Not yeah. totally 360 degrees around, but I'd say about 5%. Oh, that's fine. That's fine. You scared me, though. Up and down the whole thing, vertically. Mm -hmm. Okay, you scared me, though. Um, but that's good to hear, because if the bark does is removed from the tree in a complete circle, the tree will die, because that bark right. is what takes the nutrients up and down from the root system to the canopy. And you say the tree is shaded, but I'm going to guess it's shaded by deciduous trees? Yes, yes. Okay. One, one that's not too close, so I know, it, you know I, it's not root-bound, at least. No, but I think you do have sun scald. Um, sun scald doesn't happen, oddly enough, in the summer when the tree is actively growing. Sun scald happens in the winter when it's freezing cold out, but then the sun coming from the south or the east is very strong and heats up the bark, and then that night when the temperature drops rapidly, the bark splits. It's a very common problem. Um, if you go to a commercial orchard, you'll often see that they have painted the bark of their trees with white latex paint to prevent right, right. to prevent this sun scald and splitting. And that's what I think has happened to your tree. So if it's just 5%, that's great. Don't try to fill in the gap. Don't try to 
heal it, um, but do protect it from the winter sun. And you have two choices. You can either put on a coat of white latex paint, or you can go to a garden center and do it soon because you know they they'll, they'll be closing. Or you know go to a you might have to go to a big box store, but you can buy tree guards that are white plastic and they're kind of wrap around and it's very easy to put them on a tree and it prevents sun scald by reflecting that winter sun and it also prevents deer from coming up and velveting um, your tree you know rubbing their antlers yeah. to, to get the fur off of it and can do a lot of damage to trees and actually can can split the bark if it's the if it's the right kind of situation so yeah. I I would like you to, next time it's a nice day, go out there with a hoe and see if you can expose a little bit of the root flare at the base of the tree, you know, pull some soil back. But more importantly, before we get any deeper into winter, I want you to either wrap that with a tree guard or paint it with white latex paint. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know what to do, and temporarily I did a... Are you familiar with an ice cream bag that has the heavy white on the outside and the foil on the inside? An ice cream bag? Yeah, they're insulated like a freezer bag. Oh, uh, you mean something you would take to the store to bring home ice cream? Something they would give you. Yeah. and It's, it's just a heavier plastic bag with like a foil inside to keep it cold. Right, and you, but you've got the foil against the tree and the white facing out. I got, yeah, I cut it and tried to wrap it so the foil is against the tree and facing out just to maybe prevent some wind, you know, damage for winter. And uh, the outside is white? The outside is white. The inside is a foil. Yeah, that sounds fine. Yeah, because I, I just was trying to save it. It was a rough year this past year, health issues. My husband passed, so I was, oh. I didn't, I don't know when that happened. But I wanted to try and do what I could to try and save that tree for me. Uh, well, first of all, condolences. Um, Thank it's, you. It's a, you know, it, when something like that happens, uh, there's no shame in neglecting your garden or neglecting anything while you try to come to terms with what happened, if, you know, if we ever can. Um, right. But yeah, I, I believe it happened over the winter. I believe if you look at the tree carefully, you'll see that the damage is on the south side, um, maybe a little bit easterly. But it sounds like you've done a, a, good, uh, a good cowboy job of <laughs> protecting it. And I would just leave that on and take it off in the spring once right. the tree starts to green up. And again, don't try to fill in the gap. The tree can do that better than you can. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate that information. All right, Mary Lou, thank you. And, you know, keep your chin up and do whatever you can to feel better about your circumstance. Holly, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Holly. How are you? I am doing quite well today. So where's Holly doing well? I am living now in Eureka Springs, Arkansas, oh. in the Ozarks which are in northern Arkansas and southern Missouri, but we're right there. Now, uh, yeah. what, what can we do for Holly in Eureka Springs, Arkansas? Well, I called the other day because I heard you talking about ticks right. and tick bites, 
And I, this is a joke, but I was working at the Kerr Center for Sustainable Agriculture in Poto, Oklahoma, mm-hmm. and in 1987, and they had the USDA Tick Research Lab there on the huge property there, and uh, they put on us a seminar or a class about ticks, and we all, all, all the most of the staff, all the guys working with all the cattle and everything, and we right. all, as many of us, went. And uh, for years, uh, since you know, I started grad school, I just, when I would go hiking or doing anything or work outside, and I was an intern at the Land Institute, you know, doing agricultural work. Oh, excellent. Sure, construction I know. Work. I know West Jackson, and I met one of the Barry. Uh, anyway. uh, West, I know. West I, Jackson <laughs> is one of the all-time greats. He's in the Sustainable Agriculture Hall of Fame, you know. I know Sharon, Sharon Wesley Jackson, actually. <laughs> His first name is Sharon. It's pretty funny. But uh, Wendell Berry was there. And then, then the, I got down at the Wendell Kirsten. Berry, but, another but, one. Yeah, come on. You're... I know. He's still, uh, I've got to write him. It's okay. He's, I love him dearly. Uh, but anyway, the, so the bottom line is uh, there. So I worked outside and doing all these things. And I just learned, uh, starting in grad school in St. Louis, I just felt like when I went out in the summertime or whatever, and I've done construction work too. I actually got a contractor's license right now, but to not wear a bunch of clothes uh, and just wear in the warm peak season is like light clothes and um, short shorts and everything. Well, and I would never get tick bites. Uh, Occasionally uh, we would go canoeing and I'd have sea ticks, you know, sea ticks can get on you. But that was hardly ever happened. And I, I use masking tape. I always take masking tape with me and just get them off. So that works. But so we go to this class at the, the Kerr Center. And uh, that's one of the main things they talked about was how about holding the CO2 next to the body. So when people wear lots of clothes to try and keep the ticks away, it might be doing the opposite thing uh, that I used to never get many tick bites at all or, or ticks at all. And I and That's my it. friends would tease me. You shouldn't do that. Sometimes I wouldn't even wear socks. I would wear these plastic sandals. And, That's, and, uh, That's an interesting yeah. technique because CO2 yeah. attraction is also one of the major ways mosquitoes find their way uh, to warm-blooded mammals like us and horses and cattle and everything like that. And, and I was thinking that this morning. A lot of the more sophisticated and successful uh, mosquito traps, and I think they've been experimenting now with tick control, um, utilize a little bit of heat and CO2 that's created um, through propane tanks, and then some sort of catalytic converter converts it to CO2, and the mosquitoes hone in on that. Now, it's, it's easy to catch flying insects like that. That way, a little harder uh, to catch ticks. But I know that they're still um, trying to experiment with ways to get them to come to CO2 traps. That is absolutely correct. This is the first I've heard of um, not wearing heavy clothing so that the CO2 is, isn't so concentrated. You know, maybe it's they- It's held around the body, yeah. Maybe they just don't like you, Holly. Maybe you don't. Maybe you just don't taste good. You know, that could be it too. This is, <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but I uh, when I went to that class, I was just sitting there, and I asked the the the, the uh, scientists about it, and he said, "Oh yeah," because I told them 
you know. So every time I've worked jobs or construction, I've told the other guys about that, and some of them changed how they dressed, and things things went better. Um, so yeah, but when you're you know, working construction, there are also safety issues. You can't you can't be like these uh, young ladies who are doing these rehab shows and you know be knocking <laughs> down walls in a bikini, you know. No, I don't do that. But I was doing electrical work, but or paint. You know, I know how to. Be, we well, we did. We did that, but I know how to be careful. But, but yeah. So, um, but yeah. Where's Holly? Where's Holly on this site? See the young woman who's only wearing the construction helmet. That's her. You know. <laughs> no, <laughs> they would have liked that, but I wasn't <laughs> like that. I just worked with the guys, and that was it. <laughs> and anyway, I have a con- I have a contractor's license now. I just. Yeah. Okay. Well, you've okay. given you, you've given me an interesting area uh, to research. Uh, when, yes. we're, when we're done with this show, I'm going to call my good friend Bill Quarles. He's the director of the BIRC in Berkeley, California, um, okay. and he is the uh, editor of two journals, the IPM Practitioner and Common Sense Pest Control. And he and I have discussed tick control quite a bit. I'll bet you if this is an established feeling, Bill can send me to some journal articles. And um, this may make a great question of the week. Oh, I think it would be great to explore. I think it's important. And, you know, about the just holding that CO2 next to the body. But, you know, of course, when it's cold, you got to put clothes on. But, you know, but you, the tick season, it's hot. You know, yeah. you know, I, I was just do thinking, don't breathe. And, you know, that. <laughs> But the skin, the skin exudes CO2. It, it comes out of the skin, you know, so it's, it's not just the breathing. It's, it's our skin. So all right, Holly. Well, you've given us. As far us... as I understand. <laughs> well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow up on this. You've given us something to think about. All right, Holly, thank you very Wait. much. Thank you very much. And by the way, my grandmother lived in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. Excellent. And my, my parents, uh, my grandfathers and grandmothers lived in, in the part of PA where you are now in Messiah College and all that. And they were missionary ministers, so it's, I know that area really well. So I'm a missionary beautiful. minister myself, yeah. Are you really? Well, of oh, course yeah. you are. Yeah, a missionary I mean, for organic gardening. <laughs> All right, Holly. You need to. Okay. All right, Holly. Thanks very much. You too, Mike. Thank you. Well, it's time for me to take a little break and announce that I will appear at the fabled Philadelphia Flower Show on Wednesday, March 4th at 4 p.m. Now, plan to get there early because speakers this year are only going to have 20 minutes and my bio alone takes up 15. But don't go planning your route just yet, because we'll be right back with the correct ways to use coffee grounds and wood ashes and more of your ash and phone calls. I'm Mike McGrath, and you're listening to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA.
support for You Bet Your Garden is provided by the Espoma Company, offering a complete selection of natural organic plant foods and potting soils. More information about Espoma and the Espoma Natural Gardening Community can be found at ESPOMA.com. Welcome back to You Bet Your Garden from the studios of Rodale Institute Radio at Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. I am your host, Mike McGrath, and we're in the stretch right now, cats and kittens. In just a little bit, we'll get to the question of the week telling you how to use, and more importantly, not use wood ashes and coffee grounds in your landscape. But before that, a couple more of your fabulous phone calls to 833-727-9588. Steve, welcome to You Bet Your Garden. Hi, I'm Mike. I've been listening to your show for a long time. It's a pleasure to talk to you. How are you? I am just Ducky. My favorite line of yep. the show. Oh, the batteries ran out of Ducky, but that's okay. He doesn't work anyway. Very good. All right. Thank you, Steve. What can we? Uh, where are you, man? I'm in Churchville in Bucks County. Oh, okay. Very good. In Pennsylvania, not far from Philly. Not far at all from Philly. All right. What can we do you for? All right. Back in the fall, I purchased a real nice sugar maple, about right. 12 feet tall. Really? Uh, had a, yeah. had a nice circumference of about two inches on the trunk, and it was like perfect, Mike. Yeah, that, so, that was an expensive tree. Actually, I bought it at one of the box stores, and it oh. was 75% off, so I got a great deal. <laughs> Fall's the time to buy. You know that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. They don't want to keep them over winter. Okay, so the problem is... Um, I planted it uh, the end of October, first week of November. Right. And, um, it, you know, it was pretty much dormant at the time. And right. And it's funny, Mike, because the day I planted it, I said to myself, this tree is a perfect tree for a buck to scrape on. Oh, right? uh-huh. But is it, that what happened? A, yeah. And so I was like, I said, I got to put a fence around it. And I procrastinated and I procrastinated. And November went by, December went by. So last week, right after New Year's, I went out and sure enough, he got to it, yeah, and he did a pretty good number on it. Um, right, and I because, was you know, disappointed to say the least. Yeah, because what happens is when their antlers come out, uh, they're covered by a substance that we call velvet, and right. to get that off their antlers, uh, they rub their antlers against trees. It's called velveting. So. How much of the trunk was damaged? There's really one issue here. Did he make, did he remove the bark in a complete circle, or is it all on one side, hopefully? Well, he he went around the tree, and um, the, the bark from about, from ground level to about a foot up, he didn't do it because they don't usually like to go that low, but from no. around a foot and a half to about the four-foot mark, Yep. On the one side, he stripped it all off, and then on the other side, he did a, he did a significant damage to it. And, and I mean, I went out and I checked all the white part; doesn't look too severely damaged. But right. He he did a number on it. Okay. Well, the most important thing to do here is not panic and not try to quote help the tree because you can right. go to garden centers and they'll sell you stuff uh, to paint the bark with or to fill in gaps with, and that can only harm the tree. The tree okay. naturally is always going to try to use whatever bark it has left, even if it's just like a small lane going up the back. The tree will use that to take 
water and nutrients up and down from the canopy to the roots and from the roots to the canopy. And over time, uh, will be able to restore a good amount of its own health. Uh, but don't put anything on the damaged area, but do um, please put up that fencing. I did put the fence up, but I was thinking like no burlap or nothing like that. No, uh, no. Fortunately, it's mild weather. Yes. And but, why, okay, I didn't why put any burlap, but I, yeah, I did the fence. Okay, good. So that's really all you can do. I mean, obviously put a, an inch or two of compost around the base of the tree anytime right. between now and in the spring. Maples are unusually hardy trees. Um, I suspect, uh, how old is this tree now? It's just brand new, right? Yeah, I imagine it's just probably maybe two years, three years old or something like that. Because it's a sugar maple, you know, the same kind they tap for maple syrup, you're going to have a lot of sap running out of the damaged area in the spring. So right. don't panic, but make sure, will the fencing keep woodpeckers away from the trunk? Um, I don't think that uh, there'll be too much of a problem being it's so small. But, I mean, I see the, there's definitely woodpeckers out here. I oh, see yeah. them often. Oh, and, yeah. Uh, I'll keep an eye out for that, though. But I can probably put, like, a, a, a small mesh around it that doesn't come in contact with the trunk. I can yes, pick something up. Yes, that would be great because there is a specific woodpecker with a great name, the yellow-bellied sapsucker. I we think, have them. We see them. Yeah. So, and they can do a lot of damage. They will make a series of holes around the trunk of a tree and greatly stress it. So that's what you really want. You want to avoid further stressors. Okay. And if, um, if ants become a problem, and this is all just in the spring when the sap right. runs, um, I would get very old style um, boric acid baits. So oh, okay. the, the ant has to go into the container to get the boric acid, because you don't right. want to you don't want to put out liquid boric acid around the tree, because bees will come to that and it'll harm them. Yeah. But if ants show up, don't attack them directly. Put boric acid baits around the tree. Yeah. And, and that won't stop weeping till spring. Pardon? That won't start weeping till spring. Well, uh, you know, we've had some unusually warm weather in January. And the people who tap their trees are looking at this weather really carefully um, because you can't start tapping too soon. You never know when the sap is going to run. It's a complicated series of events that help the sap run. So okay. I think people are installing their lines now. I'm going to try to get a, a tapper on the show um, in the next couple of weeks to talk about the season. But it's earlier than most of us think. Right. So just okay. be ready for those things. Um, that's, you know, that's all just protection, no direct treatment, and you'll have your best chance at success. Okay, man. Listen, I appreciate that. My pleasure. You take I care. I love man. your show. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. It is time for the question of the week. Coffee grounds and ashes, their uses and non-uses. 
Brian in Schwanksville, PA, home of the fabulous Philadelphia Folk Festival every August, writes, I've been binge listening to past episodes of You Bet Your Garden as I drive across Pennsylvania, Ohio, and Indiana. 87 episodes left before I'm caught up. I've learned a lot. Thank you, Mike. I'm a raised bed gardener. My beds are currently eight to 10 inches high, but based on what I've learned from you, I'm gonna reframe them up to 12 inches. In addition to growing annual vegetables and herbs, I grow asparagus, raspberries, alpine strawberries, blueberry bushes, and apple trees. In one of your past episodes, you discussed the dangers of using cow manure, or was it horse manure, as a nitrogen enrichment in vegetable gardens. If I understood you correctly, a safer or better nitrogen enrichment would be coffee grounds. Was this only the case if you're mixing it in, or does this hold true for spreading it on top as well? I was planning on placing composted manure on top of my asparagus beds this spring because I was told that asparagus is very nitrogen hungry. Would, by, uh, 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 would I be better off using used coffee grounds? He didn't write that, I ad-libbed it. <clears throat> Great questions. Let's start with manure, as many listeners feel that it's something I am full of. Cow manure is not nitrogen rich. It is actually a very balanced fertilizer, but it is weak in all of its nutrients and is almost certainly collected from animals that are factory farmed. Many years ago, my old friend, Dr. Andy Weil, was asked, what's the most unhealthy food you can eat? And he instantly replied, anything cooked by an angry person. And that's why I don't use cow manure. These are very unhappy animals. But horses are more like cats. They kind of enforce their own personal happiness. Their manure is extremely high in nitrogen, which is somewhat tempered during the composting process. And fully composted horse manure must be, as raw horse manure would burn your plants to death and it's loaded with weed seeds. And yes, I learned both those lessons the hard way. At least I know what it's like to grow wheat and Timothy instead of tomatoes. Now, fully composted horse manure, which was called well-rotted horse manure in the old days, is the perfect fertilizer for nitrogen-hungry asparagus. Okay? Now, on to those coffee grounds. Rich in nitrogen as well as calcium and many micro and macronutrients, spent coffee grounds are the best source of garden nutrition that comes out of your kitchen. But they are best used as a source of, quote, wet green material. And yes, I am aware that they are black in color. They're wet green material, okay? Anywho, they are the perfect complement to shredded fall leaves in a compost pile. The leaves are carbon, the grounds are nitrogen, together they give birth to the best compost. The red wigglers in a worm bin also thrive on spent coffee grounds as part of a balanced diet of other kitchen waste. Using grounds alone is dicey. Their high nitrogen content grows big plants but inhibits flowering and fruiting and their acidity limits their fresh use to plants that require an acidic soil, like your blueberries, as well as azaleas and rhododendrons. 
But these are flowering plants, and there's that tricky inhibits flowering thing. Now, theoretically, you could spread coffee grounds under azaleas and rhododendrons in the spring because their flower buds are already formed. With blueberries, you would apply them after harvest to feed and acidify the soil and not get 20-foot-high plants with no berries on them. Hey, mix them into your shredded leaves and everybody goes home happy. Bob in Wardensville, 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 West Virginia writes, I got a lot of wood ashes and I wonder if I can use them in the garden. And if so, where? Well, the unfortunate short answer is no, Bob. However, the soils in West Virginia and everywhere else that receives a lot of rain are naturally acidic and ashes from a hardwood stove are alkaline. So theoretically, the ashes can be used to adjust the soil pH up to the optimal range for most plants of 6.5 to 7. But everyone's soils are different. If you can test your soil and come away certain that that soil is overly acidic, you can use wood ashes to raise the pH. A professional soil test will indicate a certain amount of agricultural lime you should use to adjust the pH up to neutral. You may use 30% more wood ash by weight to achieve this, as wood ash, like lime, is rich in calcium. But if your soil is already neutral, the addition of wood ash will turn it into a killing field where nothing will grow except West Coast weeds that thrive on Death Valley alkalinity. The best use for wood ashes is on lawns with a low soil pH. Many people foolishly lime their lawns every season without having a clue. State-subsidized soil tests will deliver an accurate pH reading as well as almost criminal recommendations for overuse of chemical fertilizers, which I urge you to ignore and then complain about. But they will also make a liming recommendation that will be accurate. So again, use approximately one-third more wood ash by weight than lime, and you'll raise the pH as you add nutrients that lime does not contribute. Well, that sure was a strangely specific look at two potentially good and bad garden amendments, now wasn't it, cats and kittens? Luckily for you, you can read this information over at your leisure or your leisure, because the question of the week appears in print at the Gardens Alive website. Just click the link for the question of the week at our website, which is still and will forever be youbetyourgarden.org. Gardens Alive supports the You Bet Your Garden Question of the Week, and you will always find the latest Question of the Week at the Gardens Alive website. Yikes. My producer is threatening to eat my apples if I don't get out of this studio. We must be out of time. But you can call us anytime at 833-727-9588 or send us your email. You're tired, you're poor, you're wretched refuse teeming, teeming towards our garden shore at YBYG at WLVT. Dot O-R-G. Please, please, please include your location. You'll find all of our contact information plus answers to your garden questions, audio of this show, video of this show, audio and video of old shows, 
and links to our internationally renowned podcast, all at our website, YouBetYourGarden.org. You Bet Your Garden is a half-hour public television show, an hour-long public radio show and podcast, all produced and delivered to you weekly by Rodale Institute Television and Radio in association with Lehigh Valley Public Media in Bethlehem, PA. Our radio show is distributed by PRX, the public radio exchange. You Bet Your Garden was created by Mike McGrath. Mike McGrath was created by Richard Matheson and Rod Serling submitted for your approval. Ken Queter plays our theme song. Our chief content officer is Yoni Greenbaum. Our angel of the airways is Christine Dempsey. Our engineer is cheerful Charlie Sarah. Our social media director is Amanda Northley. Check out her fine work at the You Bet Your Garden Facebook page. Our peerless princess of profound production is Tavia Minnick. Our website wonder is Nicole Harrell. Our audio editor is the lovely Jonas Bowen. Our video editor is judicious Jake Boyer. Our harassed and harried director is Javier Diaz. Eric Werner is running the camera this week and picking stuff off my shirt for me. Zach the Tack Wisniewski, I know he works here, I haven't seen him lately. Our beloved and beleaguered CEO, Tim Fallon, who is not our executive producer, is late for so many meetings that he has been cast into an alternative universe where Superman is a bad guy, Batman is a girl, and there are so many flashes that when they all start running, everybody has to escape to another universe. I'm your host, Mike McGrath, or as my friends all say, the reason that God made breathing automatic. And I'll stay here safe on Earth, too, with Dr. Fate, Hawkman, and the Spectre until I see you all again next week. Ah, this is the ticket. Oh, it is, is it? Beautiful night. I got my best girl with me. Although, you know what could make it even better? Let me guess. Some mint chocolate chip. Bingo. You always get a little sappy when that sweet tooth kicks in. Partners since the beginning. Throughout life, you have many different partners. Shouldn't you have one for the most important aspect of life? Your health. Lehigh Valley Health Network. Your health deserves a partner. Learn more at lvhn.org. Seed starting time is fast approaching, and most of us make at least one big mistake early on when we try to start our seeds. I'm Mike McGrath, and on the next thrilling episode of You Bet Your Garden, I'll explain how to get the short, stocky transplants you want without a lot of worker spending, plus your fabulous phone calls. That's on the next You Bet Your Garden. <laughs>